You're listening to the St. John's Diamond Creek podcast, recorded live each Sunday at St. John's Anglican Church, Diamond Creek. This episode presented by Associate Minister Julie Blinko. So this is a, this is a pretty funny um, story in the Bible, um, so do enjoy. Uh, so if you want to follow along, it's just in the Pew Bibles. Um, so we're reading from Acts chapter 20, uh, verse 1 to 12. When the uproar had ended, Paul sent for the disciples, and after encouraging them, said goodbye and set out for Macedonia. He travelled through that area, speaking many words of encouragement to the people, and finally arrived in Greece, where he stayed three months. Because some Jews had plotted against him, just as he was about to sail for Syria, he decided to go back through Macedonia. He was accompanied by Sopater, son of Phyrus from Berea, Aristarchus and Secundus from Thessalonica, Gaius from Derby. Timothy also, and Tychicus and Trophimus were from the province of Asia. These men went on ahead and awaited for us at Troas. But we sailed from Philippi after the festival of unleavened bread, and five days later joined the others at Troas, where we stayed seven days. On the first day of the week, we came back together to break bread. Paul spoke to the people, and because he intended to leave the next day, kept on talking until midnight. There were many lamps in the upstairs room where we were meeting. Seated in a window was a young man named Eutychus, who was sinking into a deep sleep as Paul talked on and on. When he was sound asleep, he fell to the ground from the third story and was picked up dead. Paul went down, threw himself on the young man, put his arms around him. Don't be alarmed, he said. He's alive. Then went upstairs again and broke bread and ate. After talking until daylight, he left. The people took up the young man home alive and were greatly comforted. So as you were listening to it, what part stood out to you? Yeah, Paul went on and on. And this is a guy who really liked Paul, you know, writing up about it, went on and on and on. So I've kind of got freedom tonight to talk on and on and on because it's in the Bible, right? Like it's given, he's given me permission. You do. You do have permission to fall asleep. If any of you dies, Kirk will pray for you to be raised from the dead. And um, I will continue on and on if I were going to use that as my example tonight. It's interesting, isn't it? He did fall out of the window, die, get raised back to life, and then he keeps going on with what he was going on about to start with. Some other things you might have noticed, or at least Lenny noticed, is a whole lot of tricky words to pronounce and a whole lot of tricky, most of those were people's names that were quite tricky to pronounce. Um, They were people, you might have wondered, why all these people? Who are they? They were likely people that Paul had led to faith in these different provinces. And he had called them together saying, 
you know, my disciples, people I've led to Jesus, come along, gather, I've got some final words and some final wisdom I want to impart to you. The other thing that I noticed as I was reading is just regularly, he had the word of God. He was encouraging them, he was giving them comfort, he was exhorting them, he was urging them on, he was helping them see their life in God's perspective. It was a really sort of rich time. So as we look at this this section in the book of Acts, I like to think of the book of Acts as a bit of a contents page for the letters that are coming. It sort of outlines big picture, this is the story, this is the narrative map, so to speak, and then we'll go into the depths of each of those letters in the following, um, in the following books that come. Tim and Kirk in previous weeks gave great analogies of when you look at passages in the text, sometimes they're descriptive, like a narrative story. Sometimes they're prescriptive, like this is a manual you need to follow exactly. Um, Tim suggested sometimes things are like plays where there's unfolding scenes, unfolding dialogue, unfolding understanding, and it sort of builds in knowledge there. Here we have some principles for how to live. And we also see what God was like amongst, what God was like amongst them and can get inspired by what he would be like amongst us. I don't have slides today, but I'm going to give you three take-homes up front, which I'm going to explain. Number one, there is power in prioritising the word of God. Number two, there's power in gathering and sharing the Lord's Supper. And number three, as we gather, we can expect the power of God at work amongst us. These people were hungry for the truths of God. As we read this account, we see they regularly came together to study the scriptures, to encourage each other with God's word, to remind each other to see their lives from God's perspective. They recognised the power of knitting their lives into the same fabric as the way of Jesus, which God had taught them to live. The living word of God was and is powerful and active, cutting between soul and spirit in our lives and bringing transformation in our life to be more like Jesus. Is anyone in this room 21, 22, 20-ish? <laughs> it's a given. <laughs> yep. So when I was your age, I um, had this opportunity to smuggle Bibles into a closed country in Southeast Asia. Um, There were 50 Bibles, and we were carrying them into the persecuted church in Southeast Asia. So I had two Adidas bags, and I had newspapers to cover them up on the front. And as we walked in to the checkpoint, you know, obviously I was a bit nervous, because I was about 20, 21, and thinking, what might happen? And people said to me, if you get caught, you'll get interrogated, uh, and then you'll be deported. Because you're an Australian citizen, they can't imprison you. Um, So we walked through the checkpoint and I was called over and my bags were zipped open and they saw the newspaper and I started praying rapidly in my mind. Then they zipped it up and they said, okay, go forward. And I had this rejoicing in my heart, thank you, God. Then we travelled hours to this group of pastors and if they were caught with even one of those Bibles, they were going to be sent to prison in fact, sent back to prison because that's where a lot of them had been already given their faith in Christ and been caught. So we brought these Bibles and there was just this sense of elation and joy when we sat and spoke with them. Now, from memory, one of them was telling me, I said, what do you do when you don't have your Bibles? Like, what do you do normally? 
And he went on to tell me his little church or group of believers, there was about 30 of them, and he said, we gather together um, as much as we can and it always has to be in hidden locations. And when we gather together, we just sit around for hours and hours reading the word of God, taking it in, discussing the stories, praying together, really soaking in these truths. Oh, it's such a gift you've brought us today. He said, and what else we do is we know that it can't, what if we lose this one book? What if the authorities find it and burn it? What if someone loses it? What if someone takes it? And so they agreed together as a community to memorize the scriptures. Each of them committed to a particular section of the Bible that they would memorize and put it in their heart, put it in their mind. So if their one copy ever disappeared, they'd then join together communally and share the word of God with each other and repeat it and repeat it while they could remember it. What a gift for them to be so dependent on the word of God, for them to know the word of God as their lifeline like that. Yes, they were happy to have some more copies between them all, but I was the one that was blessed to meet them and to see that this is how you could really live, so engaged with the Bible. Yet I want to suggest that that's the way God wants us to live as we follow him, a hunger in our souls for more of him and to live daily from his living word. There are reasons not to, I get it. I'm too busy. I wouldn't know where to start. Not really sure if I even believe it. You know, not all of it, maybe bits of it. There's always some reason that pulls us away from going deeper into the word of God. But I've seen in my own life, and I see it again and again in other people's lives, that as you take even a step towards knowing more of Jesus, he runs towards you. If you even position yourself and take that first step, he rewards you. He rewards that faith, and there's richness in your life as a result. So why don't you think about it, even tonight? What's going to be your next step in knowing the word of God more? Maybe it's committing to read one proverb over breakfast every morning. Maybe it's time to do a subject at Bible college. Maybe it's choosing three characters from the Bible and over the next three months thinking about their life. Who were they? What age were they? Were, who, you know, what were, who were their brothers and sisters? What were their fears? What were their hopes? What can I learn from them? Or... Perhaps it's coming on a Sunday night, anticipating that you will hear from God as we study the word together, as we come together in his name, and having paper and pen ready to write down what he shows you. As you come expectant to meet from him, he always meets us there. Now, as Bible-believing Christians, we are usually pretty good at seeing the importance of the word for ourselves. But I also believe and see it's powerful for transforming the cities. Um, around us and has immense wisdom and truth and and relevant for the crises we see on the news and read about in the papers. Again and again and again, there's truths in the word of God that we can share with the people around us. It's our job to make it relevant, to take it and to think, how can I share what's in here with those people? That's our job. We're kind of the translators to the culture and the people around us. A couple of years ago, only two actually, two to three years ago, I was working in an Anglican school in Melbourne um, as a, a 
It was my student prac sort of year, and I was working as a school chaplain. I was teaching a grade nine class, uh, World Religions, and we got to the Christian religion. And I had a picture of Jesus on the cross, and we're talking about Good Friday. However, they didn't know that. I just had the picture up there. And I said to them, you know, let's look at this. And one of the young students asked me and said, Miss, who's the guy on the cross? And I was really shocked. I'm like, oh. And when I saw he wasn't joking and he wasn't sort of like trying to, you know, stir me up or as the, as the prac teacher there, you know, some people do, I thought, I wonder, how else, I wonder who else knows this. So I said, does anyone else in the class know the answer to that question? That was a good teacher response, right? Does anyone else know the answer to that one? And everyone looked a little bit stumped. And one of them said, is it the Christian mascot, miss? And I looked and I thought, they're not joking. This is generally, like genuinely what they believe this is. And part of me was heartbroken, thinking, far out. We're in an Anglican school in Melbourne and you don't even know this. And the other part of me was so encouraged because I thought, you guys aren't jaded and cynical about religion like a lot of my peers are. You guys are like open books and clean slates. And gee, have I got some good news to teach you today. And it was a real joy to teach them and just see their eyes ponder what I was sharing with them. So since then, and for the last 10 years, I've been working with young adults, and I kind of enjoy working with them, but also reading and learning about the trends that are going on in the people younger than me, like, you know, these fancy technology, like Angie having me out earlier. Um, I've been reading a little bit about iGen. So if you were born after 1995 and you're less than 23 years old, can you put your hand up? So you guys... There's probably lots of names for you, right? Generation Millennial, Generation Z. This guy has written a PhD on you guys and called you the I generation. Do you want to know what he has to say? No, it's not all bad. It's just observations, market research, really, and he sells this data to advertising companies. Says, this is what I say about you guys generally. You can, you can judge it for yourself, obviously. You're um, individuals and you can work out, is this true of you? It says they're largely unchurched. Uh, they're not cynical and jaded about religion, just blank slates. Uh, it says that this is a generation that's growing up uh, not knowing what it is not to have the internet and quite likely a smartphone. They've grown up with like and not like being the obvious emotional responses to things. But it's caused a little bit of anxiety when you have conflict with someone that's not simply like or dislike, or it's also caused a little bit of challenge, she, he argues, in um, what to do when your emotional responses are wider than that, what to do when it's in-person conflict rather than just online commenting. He argues they're super connected, deeply insecure, less rebellious than their peers, a lot more tolerant, a lot less happy due to the lack of person time and in no hurry to grow up. A lot of them haven't got their licenses. So this was in comparison to the previous generation where it was like, let's get our license, let's get our car. What? Not real rush to get my license, not real rush to get out of home. Um, even finding a spouse, getting married, no real rush, no motivation particularly for that. Just judging on your faces, like I'd love to have conversations with you afterwards, but I'm not going to um, highlight anyone right there. But a key thing that came out of this book was just the desire for security, the desire for comfort, 
the desire to know your place in the world and a craving for like, well, what does it mean for my life? How am I going to um, have frameworks for decisions going forward? Beyond what my peers say online, beyond you know, the, the world that I've grown up in, what am I looking for? And so she's selling this research to future employees saying, if you want to recruit iGen, promote comfort, promote security, promote like this, it's not so much about a highly meaningful job as much as a job that's going to pay well. So I had a little chuckle thinking if someone had said to me, come into the Anglican church, we've covered every single fear, um, we've got so much bureaucracy, we've covered every scenario, like it's a really secure, safe place. And obviously that doesn't really like float my boat particularly, that, that description of come in and do this, I'm more into why I'm doing it. But I thought, well, it's interesting, right? Generationally, we've got to think about what appeals and what speaks to different people. However, can you see why the word of God is good news to this generation? In that craving for security and identity, in that craving for like, well, how do I make my big life decisions? The word of God is powerful for that. Personally, in my um, previous employment, I was working with young adults and they just loved the Proverbs. Now, I didn't say these are Proverbs. I just started like shouting out some of the wisdom that's in the Proverbs and people just loved it. They're like, that's awesome. That could apply for my relationship. That could apply with this stuff at work. That could apply with my part-time job. Where'd you get this stuff from? Oh, it's from the Bible. It's a book of like really practical wisdom. Check it out. And it was the avenue for that group to really kind of engage with the word and then they got curious about the rest of it. It's given to us by God and our, our job is to disclose it. As we do that, it's God who opens blind eyes. We pray that he would. We trust that he does. And we know that he's done that in our life. So the first part the power of the word of God. The second part, there's power in gathering to share the Lord's Supper. This is another um, principle we see again and again in the book of Acts. People would gather to break bread and to share the Lord's Supper together, something that we're going to be doing in a second or more. Now, we do this quite regularly because we believe it was important then, but it's still important now. As we participate in the Lord's Supper in communion, we feed on him in our heart by faith. Now, I sometimes think maybe we miss the phenomenal God space that's going on as we participate in what can feel a bit like a ritual, but actually it's this phenomenal time to encounter God. We do this and remember him. We feed on him. We Remember and enjoy and receive the things that he's done. What does that mean? What is that? Yes, he died on the cross, but in that he overcame evil, he overcame sickness, he overcame death, he overcame the powers of darkness that rage against us. He overcame those things so that we can be overcomers in our own life. We do this as a foretaste of what's to come. Life now with him, but also life for eternity. We do this as a foretaste, a feast of the wedding feast we've been invited to. Did you guys know that, that you've been invited to a wedding? You know when you get invited to a wedding, you put it up on your fridge sometimes and you remind yourself, it's like a save the date card. We've all been invited to the wedding feast of Jesus returning for his bride, the church. 
And when we participate in the Lord's Supper, we're remembering that's something that's still to come. And we receive by faith the power of Jesus for our current circumstances as we eat this meal together. The early believers then and the believers of the world today break bed together, recalling what Jesus had taught them as a powerful unifying act of the people of God. But I would suggest that there's also strong application for the world around us. In this almost prophetic act, the story of the gospel is evident in what we do in sharing the Lord's Supper. But let us think what that means for the world around us. Justine Toe is a social researcher from Sydney, and I was at a conference a while ago where she presented her findings from last year. She describes our capital cities in particular as a collection of tribes. She said, we've become really tribalistic. We hang out with the people that are like us and that we get. And she suggests in Australia that our sense of belonging and trust is really under attack. She says, trust is a social glue. It helps us to live in peace and to understand one another. And her research indicated that one in three people trusted their neighbour. So two in three people didn't trust their neighbour. What was behind this disintegration of society? She argued there's just so much change going on. There's a rise of two-income person households. There's concerns over job security. There's family breakdowns. There's falling birth rates. By 2030, one in three people, it's predicted, will be living by themselves in single-people households. People wake up in their home, they drive to work, they drive to the shopping centres, they drive home. They're not interacting as much as they used to. And I would suggest that some of the hot real estate in Melbourne, particularly Diamond Creek, Fitzroy, they're places that value that sense of community. People want to be a part of it because they're like, we like that. We want to be a part of where other people like that and are living like that. But can you see that if this is the trend, maybe not of Diamond Creek particularly, but the trend of the cities that we live in, can you see if it's increasingly tribalistic how good the good news is in that? Can you see why the church is good news in that? When we come together and share the Lord's Supper, in a way, it's going, God, I receive what you've done and I, I receive your power to be a representative of you in the world around me. The very DNA of God is to reach out and to invite others in. He was kind of the social rebeller, Jesus, of his time. Because he went to the Gentiles instead of just the Jews. He crossed the lake when no one else was doing that. He sent people out to learn other languages, to engage and interact with those around them. He hung out with lepers. He worked on days that he shouldn't have been working. He was breaking the rules for the sake of reaching out to others and inviting them in. His life models one of reaching across divisions and restoring that broken trust with each other and with their Heavenly Father. And as followers of him, we're called to live the same way, to show others that's what our God's like. So, the power of God in the word of God, the power of God in sharing the Lord's Supper together, and thirdly, the power of God at work as we gather. Imagine if God answered yes 
to every prayer you prayed for your church and your neighbourhood? What would it look like? If your prayers could be achieved without God, I'd suggest your prayers aren't big enough. He can do immeasurably more than what we could think or ask. Yet what are we thinking or asking? This guy that fell out of the window, Eutychius, how do you say it, Lenny? Eutychius, something like that. It was an ancient Greek name. His name translates to lucky. That was the modern translation of his name. And the funny thing about this story to me is that he fell out of the window and died, and then he was raised back to life. But it's not the big central part of the story. The whole story is not about him. It's almost like an aside. Oh, yeah, he died because the sermon was really long, but then he came back to life, and then we kept on preaching. Like, it's bizarre, isn't it, that these were just the types of things that were going on all the time, that it wasn't considered the main part or even a chapter of the whole story. If that happened today, we'd be talking about it, it'd be on Facebook, it'd be on Instagram, we'd have shared it with our friends, we'd all be in such awe. But there it's almost like, oh, by the way, yeah, that did happen. What was that guy's name again? Oh, yeah, Lucky. Yeah, Lucky, isn't he? Yeah, Lucky Paul was around. (laughs) You can imagine the banter that would have gone on around this side story, which was actually miraculous and wonderful. So if Jesus started walking the streets of your school this week, what would it look like if he turned up in your class tomorrow? What would it look like if he turned up in your work this week? We are his sent ones, representing him in those places, representing him to our friends, to this generation. So I encourage you to dream bigger and pray expectantly of the things that he will do around us. The community of um, believers in the book of Acts show us what God is like because they're just normal people like you and like me, but they were following Jesus and he was powerful amongst them. God's the same then, today, tomorrow. And so we can believe that, yes, he could do these things amongst us as well. I'm going to close in prayer. But I'm going to pause for just like 15 seconds. And in those 15 seconds, I want you to ponder, what's one thing I'm going to take from tonight's sermon that I can live out this week? Have a ponder, then I'll end in prayer. God, you are a God who has the power to bring people back to life, to open blind eyes, to open our ears. We pray that you would do that again in our generation. God, we pray that you would give us a deeper love for the word of God, that you would help us to position our lives towards you and to wait and pray expectantly. We pray for our schools, for our unis, for our workplaces, for our neighbours, for the people where we shop, we pray, would you come into these people's lives, Lord? Would you shape and grow us in Jesus that we might be your sent ones, representing you to a world that, um, to a world that needs to know that you love them? Give us, God, a, a love for your word, but also an ability to share your word with others. I pray your blessing, God, on what you're doing here tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us. If you've got any questions about this podcast, connect with us on our website, stjohnsdc.org.au or at facebook.com slash stjohnsdc. Don't forget, you can join us live in Diamond Creek.
every Sunday at 9.30am and 6pm.